Okay. We are recording. Hello, right. everybody. Welcome back to the Dual Screens Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Stephen Fontana, and with me, as always, he's my other monster in that other box. He's Andy Asimakis. How are you? I feel good. It's going to be, it's like old friends again. Yes. Back. Reunited. Very nostalgic, this episode, I feel. Yes, this, this is, uh, everything has evolved since uh, the last time we had our guest on the show. Uh, it's been three years. It, a lot has happened. <laughs> a lot has God, happened. God, yeah, that long. <laughs> a, a, an entire pandemic happened in between that time. Um, lo- lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. But ladies and gentlemen, joining us this week is Jason Walsh. He's Walsh. He's cre- uh, returning to the show. He's the creator of Monster Crown, a monster tr- taming game set in a dark world where monsters rule and make pacts with humans in hopes of defeating an evil young woman seeking immeasurable power. Jason, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. Yes. It's uh, been a very long time. Yeah, it's been a long time, and it's amazing to see how this project has grown since all of the, well, we would like for this to happen um, conversations that we had the last time. Um, But now here you are, and gaining some steam, as it were. And uh, I've played the game quite a bit um, in its earlier stages. And uh, before we get into all of that, before we do a deep dive, I just want to let people know what they're listening to here. This is the Dual Screens Podcast. This is the Internet's number one indie developer interview podcast hosted by two people you've never heard of, probably. The show posts each and every Friday for your listening pleasure on your podcast service of choice, including our home, Podbean. But you could also go to it on old Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple, Google, everything. You can get it everywhere, literally. And a video version on YouTube.com slash Dual Screens TV. And if you'd like to support us with your hard-earned dollar-dollar bills, y'all, you can go to patreon.com slash ndspodcast, just like our Patreon producers, Colton the Apprentice Nestler, Vegas Girl on Fire, and FNH Paul. We cannot continue to grow without all of your support, so every little bit helps. Now, Jason. Jason, Jason, Jason. We have a lead-off question here, and I have a very important question to ask you. What have I done to you? That has made you hate me so much. Well, should I start at like the lowbrow stuff? Like just that your appearance, you know, kind of just makes me sick a little bit or, mm-hmm. or should I go straight into the personal attacks? Well, well, here's the thing. Valid, valid, <laughs> fair criticism. <laughs> these, these are, these, this is a fair response. <laughs> hours upon hours into the monster crown. I got my starter. I, he, he's a beautiful, beautiful monster. I got the pupper. I forgot his name. I'm not really Canine. good with names. Yes. Beautiful. Get into a fight. Kill a thing. Catch so many. You know how many rainbows I've caught? I've caught, I have like three rainbow dudes. Like, it's awesome. That's pretty good. Yeah. Better luck than me. Yes. It's great. Then my starter just vanishes from my party. Mm. Just gone. Gone forever. Like a lost puppy. Why did you do this to me? I feel like it was a personal attack. I feel like um, I want to compliment you, first off, <laughs> on very strategically omitting the part where you lost against the chief tamer and so lost your monster as a consequence of not being good enough. So uh, nice oh. nice job dancing wait around minute, that one. Wait but a minute. There, oh. is an e- there is an easy mode available for people like you. You can just Hold toggle on it on. And- <laughs> Hold on a second. Chief tamer. What the hell is a chief tamer? Oh. I didn't get up against no chief tamer. Oh, it's gonna be a good show. <laughs> when was you didn't? it? I think it was, I, I lost against one of those crazy, like the sh- really strong, uh, not tamer, but like one of the strong monsters. It happened well, right after that. We, I mean, there's been some bugs throughout early access. I'm sure it was a bug. Think. I'm just, I'm just fucking around. Obviously, right. early access. I'm is not early familiar access. with. I'm not familiar with a bug that specifically makes you lose a monster outside those chief battles where you're supposed to. Oh, I, I mean, see. it could have happened. It could have uh, happened. It could have yeah, happened. for sure. But, but I, I personally apologize, and yes, I can you, hook you, you up. well should. I'll hook you up with a rainbow canine if you want. Just oh, wow. DM me your save, and um, oh, I'll my. hook you up. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. Well, it soured me, and I haven't played it since. So, you know, you better uh, you better make some, some changes, all right? Or, no, I'm just joshing. This game is, is really fucking cool. 
and and it's really hard to explain to people because without using the p word um you can use that that's fine okay that's the game you know intentionally starts you out in technical difficulties but we're back yes so it's hard to, to explain what Monster Crown is without using the P word, but as I understand, that is by you you kind of made it so that by design you are going to want to hearken to the to the Pokemon franchise. Is that correct? Yeah. So when you start the game, it's uh, built in a way that's very comfortable for people from a gameplay perspective, not so much like a lower tone perspective. But a Pokemon fan coming in will be very comfortable with the basic of the mechanics at the start and then from there we slowly walk people away from that as we introduce ways that we break the formula and so you kind of begin to feel like a fish out of water and you kind of need to adapt and uh learn how to play different than what you're used to expecting from like a pokemon game yeah it, it definitely kind of turns it on its head it, it, it does it pretty quickly i know you, i know you think it, it's a little slower but like from when i got into the game I actually was playing it live. I was playing it on, on a stream and a lot of people were like, whoa, what is this? What is this? And then like the tone is really what slaps you right over the head just immediately that this isn't this isn't your little brother's Pokemon like this is this is going to be a little darker. But but the biggest thing that that kind of, um, you know, you have your mechanic of capturing the monsters, but it's not as simple as just throwing a thing at them and they will join you. Um, it's about impressing them. It's about doing something that will make them respect you. And then you sign a pact with them, which is really cool to, to think about. Like these monsters, th these aren't just, you know, creatures, you know, creatures that are pets. These are fully sentient creatures that live with people and have their own societies and their own sort of backgrounds and, and all of that stuff. Can you get into that part of it a little bit more the relationship between the people of this world and these monsters sure so yeah from uh, the very start of development what i had in mind was kind of like if you go out into the woods and you find like a mountain lion or a bear that's the kind of relationship you're going to have with these monsters so you're not going to go up and hop on his back or necessarily feed an apple out of the palm of your hand you're going to have to uh, you know, watch yourself a little bit. It's wary. You're coming into its territory. So there's that natural intensity between both sides. So um, monsters, of course, are a bit uh, more intelligent than animals. So they're kind of like you could compare it to like a caveman-esque intelligence level, but uh, not quite on human level and they don't have a spoken language, but they can understand implicitly through uh, these special symbols that were discovered that communicate to a monster that I want to form a pact with you Together, we're going to travel, we're going to face challenges, we're both going to grow very strong, and in the end, after you've helped me accomplish my goals, I'm going to return you to your environment, where you will then be the alpha, of course, because you've grown very strong, you are far more powerful than your peers, you're going to be king of the ring kind of thing here. So that's kind of the basis of what pacts offer a monster, and uh, it's... You know, with a Pokeball, I think everyone can remember from the start of the Pokemon anime that Ash was up against... Um, was it a Pidgey he tried to? Maybe No, Pidgeotto, right? It had this kind of aloof, standoffish nature. But once he got it in the Pokeball, it became obedient. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to kind of break down and analyze, you know, how does that work? Does it, does it really cause a total change in personality and alignment as soon as they're in that ball? I wanted to make that more of a cooperative and... Uh, sensical sort of arrangement and thought process for both parties yeah like like a mutual understanding between the two like i help you you help me yeah and, and you're not mine i'm not yours but like come hang out you know come on this journey yeah. with me mm -hmm. um it it's really interesting it's really interesting when you're playing this game because there are so many options to you right right off the bat um, there are so many, you know, monsters that you can go out there and just add as part of your, your core group. The, the one thing that I found a little bit overwhelming is understanding each of these monsters roles. Um, how are they, uh, uniquely useful in, in their own little ways? Yes. Yeah, so there's a type system <clears throat> that is actually much more basic than Pokemon's type system. You got five types and they're kind of based on like the personality or temperament to that monster and the, uh, the type weakness strength system is they're weak to one type and strong against one type, you know, so it's very basic, easy to get into. And part of that is because the whole system has been built around this new type system. That's much more simple than Pokemon's type system. Um, and to ask people to learn all new type charts, 
I wanted to keep it simple. I wanted to keep it easy. But I also wanted to go away from that typical grass, water, fire. I didn't want to be in a situation where I was designing a rodent and trying to give it a fire edge or an electric edge. And I just feel like there's so many games out there that do that um, in the vein of Pokemon. I wasn't going to offer anything new in that realm by making mm -hmm. another, you know, water type, whatever animal. So uh, we have the types that are malicious, um, brute, will, relentless, and unstable. So um, each one in that chain is strong against the one before it and weak to the one after it. So the malicious type, it's kind of calculating. It wants to manipulate you. The brute type, that's just all about putting up fists and getting ready to fight, beats it. Um, will type is like a very strong fortitude, uh, like a shield. So the brute type doesn't have an advantage over that because I can't just break it in one punch. Whereas relentless is very athletic, so it can kind of wear down the will type. So that's the kind of relationship you get across these monsters and the type system. Mm. You mentioned how at the onset this feels like a traditional Pokemon game, but then that's just to get you essentially comfortable, it's familiar, but then as the more you play, it feels different. Can you discuss how you took the formula further than what many would think of this of the genre? Sure, sure. So Pokemon, I see a lot of it like a bit of um, a cradle. It's comfortable. When you're in that world, you can rely on the Pokemon being fundamentally friends to you. There's friends all around you, people in the world that want to help you. And that's kind of similar to the start of Monster Grand. You have your family around. You got some uh, weaker end monsters that can come on your side. It's a bit like that cradle. On the other side, you've got a game like Dragon Warrior Monsters dragon quest that's mm -hmm. kind of this fantasy there's castles there's there's wizards there's deceit uh that sort of thing so i kind of wanted to start people in a in a more pokemon basis where they were comfortable and walk them more towards a traditional rpg mm -hmm. but also a little bit more of a hostile world so finding that middle ground where monster crown truly is is a process that we've explored as we've developed the game and you'll become familiar with as you play through it and uh this is this is something i haven't talked about but i was just playing the post game the other day just testing a few things out and i was amazed at how different tonally the post game feels to the early game because you mm. feel like you're all alone you feel like you got no one to help you you're on your own you've got to you got to stand up against forces that you shouldn't be able to beat um so yeah, there's a kind of whole process of walking people through there. And we do find our ground somewhere in the middle. It's not overly magical. It's not overly friendly. Um, in the beginning of the game, you see someone get killed by a monster. So someone mm -hmm. could see that and kind of think it's trying to be an edgy game. There's going to be a lot of death and dismemberment. But really, the violence doesn't escalate beyond that point. So you meet people that aren't your friends. You uncover plots that are bigger than you, that are very dangerous with hostile people. But yeah. the game doesn't become edgy and gory either so somewhere in the middle ground there there's the monster crown tone and i've kind of always imagined it tonally similar to uh full metal alchemist where mm -hmm. there's very dark uh like crimson kind of plots behind the scenes but also there's lighthearted moments and there's humanity shown between people that's kind of what monster crown is is always trying to be about somewhere between there between dragon warrior monsters between pokemon and not quite like either and you also marry this with a particularly uh, – it's a meticulously planned visual style too because your palette, uh, the color palette that you guys chose for this um, really nails that home because um, you, you do have these vibrant – looking monsters these very intricately designed lots of lots of shade lots of uh uh lots of dynamic um what's the word i'm looking for it's uh, it's it's got a lot of depth to it but also your color palettes are very muted there there's a lot of gray there's a lot of green and brown and like a, a lot of just these are monsters these aren't these fantastical fairy creatures like these are this feels like it could live in this world and the people kind of reflect that as well the way they're they're designed the way everything 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 that goes from the buildings everything kind of matches well together can you talk about how you got to the visual style that you guys chose sure um i'll tell you right off that it was not easy uh, when i started the project i was not an artist i'd never done any art before 
Um, thankfully, I worked with a few people that were much more skilled than me and learned a bit from them. They contributed to the project, and I spent a lot of time trying to improve on my own. Um, there are times in the game that I was in charge of everything you see. I did all the art of the monsters, of the NPCs, of the overworld. Uh, thankfully, due to the Kickstarter, we've had someone come in and revamp all the overworld art, so the tile sets, that sort of thing. But it really depends on finding the people that share your vision, people that grew up with these 90s monster taming games that have a lot of nostalgia for them, that see kind of the more complex, darker depths of it, and can imagine sort of an RPG but kind of grounded world right so a world that's about people it's about this um less developed society and um the people that i've been lucky enough to work with one guy that was really responsible for all that world art is um i don't know if he'd want me to say his real name but his name is zai boca on twitter okay. and he's an amazing artist and another artist i've worked with is he goes by Arix, and they help really bring the world to life but they get what it is to have this like 90s style RPG uh, anime-esque world. So when you find the right people to work with, they show you things and you don't have a lot to say because they get it. But when I work with someone that doesn't quite get it, I seem very picky and handholdy because you need to give them all sorts of details. So it's really key to find people that get what you mean. Because when you get someone that gets your exact vision and have similar visions themselves, it's almost effortless. And it's nothing but pure fun to create this world bring it to life. So I'm very fortunate that I've been able to improve my skills a bit, but also all the fantastic people I've been able to work with. The tone we're going for really is like the sort of world you see in the, the early Dragon Ball, a lot of 80s and 90s manga, um, the early Pokemon concept art. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's kind of what we're going for there. You find the right people to work with and you can really bring it to life. Um, you just need to constantly have an eye to tone. Hold on to the exact tone you want to have and make sure that you don't ever compromise on it. And thankfully, it's all uh, shining through really well. I'm really happy with where it's gone. So what have you learned? Because you, you've gone from this guy that wants send me a DM on Reddit saying, hey, I got this game working on. You should check it out. We could talk sometime to a Kickstarter campaign to now early access to pushing towards a final release date. What's that been, What's that ride been like for you? What did you learn <laughs> in that or that this is three year long journey with making this one game for so long that you're just knee deep in with 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 fan feedback and all that, all that stuff taken into account? Well, it's been a very long adventure. It started with me wanting to make a little breeding demo with kind of a story pack uh, tacked on that was a bit of a parody of like monster taming games. And the main character spoke and there was a lot more jokes. Like at one point your dad says, why can't you be stronger? Like, you know, my neighbor's son and help out more around the farm. Like you're kind of weak, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds and like people... my dad when I was growing up. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was, my, my dad... I was always compared to other people in the neighborhood or cousins or neighborhood kids like that. That kid's just great. And you're not. Just... That's that's brutal. I hope that that hasn't had any lifelong impacts on your, your self-esteem or anything. No, no. I'm also a middle child. So I just it's all, uh, it's all part for the course for me. <laughs> gotcha. You are, There's always a comparison. You are so very much the middle child. It's scary. <laughs> By the way, my, my kids just had to come home. My dad had to go get my mom, so and my wife's not home. So he just dropped off the kids back at, at my apartment. And uh, Are you still good? Oh, no, I'm yeah. good. I'm good. I, okay. I, listen, I got a mute button. It's fine. I could, I, could, I could handle it. But I just wanted to let you know that there is some chaos happening here at, okay. at the Fontana household, but it's okay. Uh, my daughters took a snack and went in the bedroom. Um, <clears throat> we, well, so, he was talking about his journey. His no, no, walk. I know. I was, I was listening. Um, yeah. Can you go in, in a little bit more about the 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 creative vision journey from 2016 to now? Like, how did how did you morph this from its concept to right now what we have, which I it is sort of different from even when we spoke um, outside of the art and getting some people on there to, to you know fix up some of the art what have you learned over the course of this uh, from a, a gameplay and uh, design perspective 
Well, design perspective has really been something. I had no idea about game design in the beginning. I knew just from playing games what felt good and what didn't, what attracted me towards games and what genres didn't attract me. But through the whole development, uh, man, that's that's quite a question. Uh, I've learned so much by studying things. I've also learned a lot from an art perspective, but a lot of what informs the game design is the initial concept. So you start with a monster taming RPG, but where did those monsters come from? How did those people get there? Um, is this a huge world? No, it takes place on an, a large island continent and that's the whole world. Okay, well, how did the world form? How did the people get here? How did evolution take place here? What, what were the gods thinking when they made this world? Like asking all those questions, you start to build a tone, an idea for how this world came to be and you tie it in with the things you've always wanted as a kid to be able to do in these games and wrap it together. And hopefully it comes out in a way that doesn't make for really boring gameplay. Because you can have the best, coolest idea and then you mm. put together a prototype and you try it out and it's no fun. And like, yeah, okay, great idea. Like maybe you should go write a book or something because this is not a game, even though it's a mm. cool concept. So it takes a lot of obsessive envisioning how things are gonna feel and play. Um, and you take it totally different with an RPG, which is much more forgiving when it comes to tactile feedback and how it feels with your controller than say like a platformer or an action game. Uh, and I've had a few people play the game, especially early on in early access and say, wow, I, I could feel the part where you suddenly got better at designing games. Really? So, oh, wow. yeah, <laughs> yeah, they play in a few hours and they're like, oh, that's right there. That's where you figured out how to make a good game. And I was like, you it, know, it really blew my mind. You know, it, it, I don't know if this is the same m moment, but I remember when, when I was playing through it in the beginning, it felt very... And you, you actually alluded to this earlier where you're just thrown into this world and you kind of have to figure out what's going on. And that's very much what it felt like. It felt like I was um, not... I felt like the, I was learning all of the all of the systems, all of the world, but it felt like I was doing it in the wrong order. Like I almost felt like whatever I was doing, I was like, "This can't be right. I can't be. I can't be going in the right direction. This doesn't seem right." And then all of a sudden, you go up against a, a thing that's like level thirty or whatever it is, and it kicks your ass. And you're like, "Oh, I clearly I'm not supposed to go that way." But as you're learning, as you're going through, you realize, "Oh, here's here's the here's the path. Here's the story. Here here's where it. It's not that you're not supposed to go that way. It's that if you go that way, you learn a lesson. That lesson is part of the journey." And if you don't go that way, because accidentally you don't, and then later on you come across that thing, you're going to have a very different experience than the next person or, you know, whatever. So you have this, this sort of, it's almost like a, like a, a marble that you throw in like a, in a bowl, like a half bowl when you throw the marble and it's trying to figure out its path. And then all of a sudden it hits its inertia and then it starts going on the, on, you know, in a, like a pendulum. Like that's what it feels like. It's like, Oh, chaos, chaos, chaos. Oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. If that makes any sense. I don't know. I think I'm just rambling. I have a coffee and a monster in my bloodstream right now. So I apologize. That's a really good example. <laughs> that marble thing is like a really brilliant example. If you ask me. Oh, thank you. Just, Some, the, just sometimes the, I get just those. the mental model, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like everyone loves mental models, ways to imagine different things in life that hopefully you can apply cross topic. Right. And that marble one's a really good one. Um. Yeah. So um, that that might be what this person was sort of describing. Yeah. That in the start of the game, because I wanted the game too. If I'm gonna make a game that's just like really deep and for the oldest people that grew up with the Pokemon games and know what it's like to play the monochrome version and have that sense of creepy world around it. Because if you're if you're a kid and you grow up now and you watch Pokemon for three years on TV before you play the game, you already know what the world's about kind of. But if you're in 1998 and you're booting up Pokemon for the first time and you might have seen two or three episodes like me, your mm -hmm. mind kind of paints a different view of this world right. and you can read more creepiness into it or more seriousness into it. But um, yeah, I, when I was designing the game, I thought that everyone will be very seasoned. So I could introduce fairly complex mechanics right off the bat because they understood all the basics. Right. What I found is that people do still want to be introduced. I saw a Steam review and someone said, I've never played a Monster Shaming game before, but I really like this one. But it's a bit confusing in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I, I would have bet you a million dollars three years ago, no one's touching this 
that hasn't played another monster taming game. These are the right. people that have played hundreds of hours of various games that are coming into this. So I definitely made some miscalculations uh, in a good way because the game's more popular than I thought it was going to be. But yeah, like well, that would have been a great thing to have in mind from the start for sure. It's hard. It's hard to foresee that because the i mean the genre is 25 years old like when if you really think about it it's in its it's in its zenith for 25 years and you have one mega popular franchise that you assume everyone is is going to get in and, and play at some point but the power of steam in 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 itself and the indie game scene like people are buying games every i mean just look at andy's backlog like he'll just buy like three games because he liked the way the art looked he's like oh sprites purchase yes. and then he just goes in and plays it you know like there there are so many different ways to, to get your hooks in a new audience and that's incredible that like has that informed you has that changed your design philosophy as you got deeper into development did you change a couple things based on that feedback or was it all just you know what it's chaos in the beginning but as they go they'll 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 get their their feet wet and they'll be more comfortable well i added um the introduction when you first start the game where your dad tells you about the relationship between man and monster, mm -hmm. that was added a bit as a response to that. A few mm -hmm. tutorials were added, an in-battle tutorial that explains the basics of how to play and stuff like that, because we did have people coming in that were totally green to the genre. Right. Um, and I think right from the start, maybe I was naive that more people would have experience than I thought, or we'd hit some kind of like group of people that were just like me. Mm -hmm. But I imagined... A lot of people that played hundreds of hours of games, min-max things, uh, and very introspective gamers that come across every new interaction in the world, every new mechanic, and really think, okay, philosophically, in-game in philosophically, why is this the case? And I don't want to handhold those people because those people are very smart. They can get right to the bottom of it. But at the same time, you don't want to totally alienate new players where they're like that marble going everywhere at the start. So we have added a lot of tutorials and things like that. Um, I think it would have been good to have a wider beta test um, in the very beginning. Because mm. during the Kickstarter, we didn't really get this sort of feedback. And I don't know if it's because it hit the people well, that yeah. were Who, ideal who's players. Who's going to kickstart that game? You know, yeah. the, the kick, the, yeah. you're going to get the yeah. Pokemon veterans. Like, that's who you're getting to kickstart. Again, ooh, this looks, this is an interesting take. Uh, I've been playing Pokemon for 30 years. Yeah, let me back this bad boy. I mean, that's how, that's what happened with us, right? Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> like. I think you're exactly right. And I, I read this Reddit comment once where someone was talking about a new game that came out. And I don't even remember what game. And they're like, they had this new gameplay style, but you know what? They didn't touch on this or this, or they didn't do this with it. So it was a missed opportunity. And that echoed in my head, missed opportunity. So <laughs> during the Kickstarter and right after it, I thought about the way I'm doing things differently with monster data, with real crossbreeds and real uh, divergent species. Brand new species coming to be. That's, an, that's a new thing, really, in the genre. So if I'm not doing something I could do with that, that's that missed opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I became very obsessed with not having any missed opportunities to the best of my ability. And so we ended up with a game with like 10 million features, you know, <laughs> and you got to explain each one and get people used to them. And some of them are tucked away way at the end of the game. So some players won't even find them. And if players don't find them, they'll still have plenty of features and feel like they had a whole game. But those are there to uncover too. So I think that there was definitely a bit of a case of overambition. Um, and just just putting... I think if we had one more feature in this game, it would literally be too much. Or maybe we're one or two past too much. But they're not all essential. As many of these systems as I could, I made them totally optional. If you don't want to do breeding in this game, which sounds strange, you don't have to. Mm -hmm. You do it once at the start just to establish you know how to do it and mm -hmm. pass a little gate. And then you can never touch it again if you don't want to. You can grind up your monsters or you can give them stat boosting items. You can just use fusion instead of breeding. You can fight wild tamers that show up in the wild, or you can completely ignore them. You know, everything is optional. So I hope that that makes up for some of the, what can feel like a, a drowning depth of mechanics and features that are available to you. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things that, that is hard to c combat as a gamer. Like when you go in and you see that something exists, you feel like it's, 
you have to learn that thing. Like that was that was one of the things that 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 stood out to me right away. It was with, with the breeding situation. You're like, wait a minute. Okay, so I could do this breeding, but I don't see the part where I need to do it aside from the, the you know the first time. Like, where did this go? Aren't you going to make me do this again? Like that was part of the the crazy marble for me as I got a little deeper. I mean, I, outside of Pokemon, I don't play this genre very much at all. Um, and you know they they have like the daycare centers like here's how you breed what's the point i don't do it usually i usually put something in there if i if there's a pokemon you could only get from breeding like a baby pokemon whatever it is otherwise i don't touch that stuff because i'm not a min max trying to get the perfect nature versus the per like i don't i don't care about any of that stuff i'm not a competitive player i don't need a perfect pokedex or whatever so like that kind of stuff i could see i don't need that like I just do mm. it for for my for the way I want to play it. That's that's how I do it. But in but in Monster Crown, you give so much freedom to that, and you're and you're you're not really pushing players in any one direction. That really this could be a completely different game for five different people. They could play the, They could have their own. Oh, you guys, you don't breathe. Oh no, I only use fusion. Oh, I I don't do anything. I just go out in the forest and beat the hell out of everybody, and then you know I have the strongest monsters. Like that's how I play. Oh, that, you know whatever. Like you could have completely different ways of playing this game, and I think that's pretty cool, because um, that kind of makes it a little bit more. It's like it's like these games that try and tell you that you, you know choice matters, and it affects the story. That your choice matters, and it affects your gameplay experience. Not necessarily the story, but it affects how you play the game um so it gives you options you go oh i'm gonna do a, a breedless playthrough i want to do you know uh, whatever like all breeds only whatever um there's a lot of options there that's pretty cool thanks for that uh i say that the number one design philosophy we had besides making a monster taming game was i wanted to make a game that had maybe it'd be a bit over the top for me to say responsive depth. But if you go in there and you want to do a lot of breeding, then suddenly you find there's a whole new depth and layers to breeding and more things you can get through it than you ever thought. And if you just want to do battling, you can find, okay, there's some ridiculous challenges in this game. Mm -hmm. So I want to give people, just like at the start of the game where you get the comic that profiles you and lets you pick a monster depending on what choices you've made, the whole game is a choice. What do you want to do? Because that's an okay way to do it. There's never any sort of like a funnel. You need to use this feature, just like you mentioned. It's, you know, you play the game how you do it and how you want to have fun. And if you don't want to fight those wild tamers, you find just random battles without huge rewards or free monsters, you find it boring, then don't do it. But if you find that really fun to beat other tamers or your role play a bit, like I'm the toughest tamer around here, I'm going to go around and beat everyone. Like, just do that. You know, and the game offers you ways through to see all the content, no matter which way you take it. It must be fairly flattering, too, when you have newcomers saying to you, I have not touched this genre before, when I'm sure they know that Pokemon exists in the world around them. Like, they've seen videos or trailers or it just it's in it, it's in their mindset, but they say, well, here comes along this game, and I'm going to take my chance with this genre for the first time on Monster Crown. What is that like, seeing someone who has, there's a decades history of, of taming games, and they go, you know what? This is the first game I want to play in this genre. It's making me curious some, somehow. I, I think to a more self-confident person, that would be a huge uh, boost. <laughs> But for me, when I read a post that says this this is the premier monster taming game or this is the best monster taming game or this is the first monster taming game I play, I smile for a second and say, wouldn't that be nice if that was true? But I'm sure they made some kind of mistake. Mm. And then I read the rest and try to find the feedback. What, mm. what are they going to tell me that I've screwed up so I can go look at it and fix it up and make sure it's, it's good and respond to their feedback? Because right. they're clearly, you know, yeah, they made a mistake there typing that or they're thinking something else or maybe they thought like, thought this was a dragon ball game or something <laughs> I don't know. but uh yeah i just i just can't i can't ever see myself as like this this game designer and i always i guess i have that um what's it called the imposter, you, imposter syndrome yeah imposter mm -hmm. syndrome mm -hmm. yeah. i'm like oh wow i tricked this person into buying the game and i tricked <laughs> them into thinking this part was good so i'll make sure they get their money's worth and i'll i'll action the feedback they give 
so hopefully they don't get mad later when they figure out that I tricked them into buying a monster taming game. <laughs> does it does it drive you a little crazy or the team a little crazy when you want to address so many situations? So like, because you seem like the kind of guy that just wants to make everyone happy um, in a way. Yeah. Um, but you haven't necessarily sacrificed creative vision in it at all. So like, how, how do you balance that? Like, that's got to be it's tough. Yeah, that's got to be horrible. It's a really insightful question. I got to compliment you on that. It's um, because I do. I see a comment and like people say, you know, well, they got a really responsive developer because I go in and reply to everything people post on the Steam forums. Mm -hmm. But like everything I find, I and if I can't respond in that moment, I leave the tab open so that oh, wow. I don't forget about it. So later that day or the next day, I'll see it and I can respond to it. And yeah, it'd be really easy to just change the game. But I guess I have a vision for what I want the game to feel like in a spiritual perspective, in a tonal perspective, and what I want people to be able to do. And so when people come in and they give criticism, if the criticism fits within that framework, I say, okay, well, tonight I'm staying up late and I'm, I'm incorporating that adjustment to make that feel right. Or I need to sit down and really study what they said to find out if the real issue is something further upstream. Mm. and go fix that instead and it's not quite what they described the problem to be but it's because they feel this way because of that thing over mm. there mm -hmm. so if it fits within that vision i want to hurry hard and go do it but if it doesn't fit within that vision i just have to conclude that they just didn't really get what this was supposed to be but sometimes you do have to make changes that aren't necessarily what you totally want to do um and that what I mean by that is I had a lot of people come into the game and because it offers you so much freedom, they'll stay in the first couple of areas and they'll grind their monster up to level 50. Mm -hmm. And they do that because they can, not because the game tells you to, and not because they have any reason to, not because the game's so tough that you need to grind up that much. But they just do it because they can. And then they play through the game and they say, that was easy. You know, everything should auto scale to give me a challenge. So auto-scaling on its face is a good idea. But also, if you, I always kind of saw grinding in an RPG. Like, I like to spend 10, 15 minutes doing it. Not a huge amount of time, but just a little bit of time. And I guess that just feels like a Rocky movie or something. You know, in the training sequence where you're, yeah, like, right. powering up a bit. You're ready to take on that challenge. So if the game always scales with you, that strengthening phase has no purpose. Because you're just strengthening the enemies, too. Right. right. So the solution I put in for that is I put in a level cap that raises after each challenge. And that cap, after many playthroughs, I find I did not hit it. People at our publisher didn't hit it. A lot of players didn't hit it, but the cap was there. So ideally the cap is there to stop those people from completely overleveling. But the people that don't go out and do crazy grinding, they never even know it exists. And similarly, there's people that said that they just went out and got every monster and sat there and just bred the monsters over and over. And the game was super boring. And I don't know why they did that, why they didn't just go do other things and come back later. But they just wanted to do that, and then they, so they saw the monsters. So we added in a little limit for how often you can breed. And it's so generous that people say, why do you even have that functionality? Because I never am limited. I always have enough uh, points built up that I can do breeding. But it does offer a little bit of limit to those people who are then stimulated to go out and explore. So when you try to accommodate all playstyles, you also get all types of players. And you could just say, well, that doesn't right. line up with my vision. But then they can write negative Steam reviews. And then your game gets seen one-tenth as often. Right, and then right. one-tenth the amount of people buy your game. And you make one-tenth the profit on it to pay artists or pay people you work with to tune things up or take time to polish things. And so when you're not huge and you're trying to keep everyone happy, Sometimes you have to do a little adjustment like that that's maybe not perfect. And some people might say, wow, why did you do that? It's not even limiting me. I don't even know why that's limits there. But, you know, you're on a ship and you're trying mm -hmm. to keep everyone happy and keep the ship going. And people do have the power to sink your ship. You know, mm. it's it, remind, it reminds me of like raising a young kid because like <laughs> bear with me here. Um Sure. It's like, oh, I love this coffee table. It's my favorite coffee table. And you're like, well, I don't like this coffee table because my kid just slammed its head on the coffee table. You're like, oh, well, I'm not going to get rid of the coffee table. So I'll put like these little corner pads on the coffee table. 
well, okay, now my kid is hitting a soft spot. Cool. That's great. But now my kid is climbing the coffee table. All right. Well, I'll fucking... I'll, I'll move the coffee table. So now I move the coffee table. Now the coffee table is in a little different spot, so we can't climb from the coffee table to the couch. So it's a little f further up. All right, cool. That's done. Uh, now the, the kid's playing with crayons and is now drawing on your coffee table. Well, fuck. Well, all right. Well, now I'll get a a plexiglass topper for my coffee table so that the little shit can't draw on my coffee table. Like that's what you do. And then eventually you have a happy baby that could just live in its environment and be, and be fine. Yeah. Stop, like you have to get rid of the kid. <laughs> well, you can't because the kid is, you don't, you don't want to have one tenth of the kid. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's really similar, you know, you surprising, know? but that, that example is really similar. It's a bit like, um, designed by committee or just uh, haptic feedback i guess when things get banged you smooth down that edge yeah and then suddenly you got a round coffee table but <laughs> hey you love you you love your kid and you love you the know? coffee you table know? you uh <laughs> you did mention a publisher before what was that experience like for you from someone that's I don't I think you had that when we, when I, yeah, we started, I, when no, we last spoke. No, no. Yeah. So was, you went from, oh, I can't draw sprites too well, and I can't program all that well, but I had this idea for a game to Kickstarter, early access release, and now public publisher-backed project. How did they get on board? What was that conversation like between you and them? Well, I had two publishers reach out to me before the Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, you know, what if a publisher comes in and tries to control things? Right. It'd be so easy too for for someone that's only thinking in the short term. They can say, "Damn, just just do like twice as many cute monsters, make it a bit more friendly. We want that Pokemon audience." You know, not really taking the time to understand your vision or the genre as a whole, but more like saying, "How superficially can we?" You know, certainly there's publishers out there that see your car and say, well, I want to put you in races. And instead of giving you a race car, they say, we're going to put a white stripe on your car and then you'll be ready for the races, you know? Right. Not truly wanting to understand the depth of it. So we had a few more publishers reach out to us after the Kickstarter was a success that heard about it. And uh, Sedesco seemed to be the one that gave us a lot of creative control. They said, you know, this is going to be, this is going to be your baby. We're not going to tell you something's wrong. We're not going to tell you to change things. We're going to make suggestions if we see something. But if you say no, then, then that's it, right? So be it. You're the, you're the guy that made it into something that we found compelling. So we trust you to continue staring that ship. Mm -hmm. And I kept working on it and we kept meeting and they offered great support. And um, my battery is about to die. I got to grab my, my power cable. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. It's okay. It's I'll, okay. Uh, yeah, I'll pick up right where I left off. Just That's fine. Second. That's fine. This has been a hell of a show. This has been a great, a great show. The silence is good. Mm -hmm. For editing. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Okay. Are we? Uh, we're still rolling. Are we just? We're still rolling. Okay, yep. still rolling. We can yep. just cut out a bit of the dead air. Yes, indeed. We shall. You know, I wouldn't have forgotten my power cable if someone had to write a Steam review saying, "Hey, you really need to remember to take your power cable around." I would have. <laughs> I would have remembered that. Uh, but yeah, Sedesco, they they totally respected the creative vision behind it, and they had a couple of producers that uh, really understood the monster taming genre really well. And as I kept working on it and improved the art and that sort of thing, uh, I think they got even just more enthusiastic about it as time went by. And they thought, well, this is an even bigger and higher quality game than we even thought. 
So I think that really made them happy too. But um, yeah, they were the ones that came to us were really a priority for keeping the creative control and offering the support we needed. And they had a lot of good people that just were fans of the genre and understood it. And um, big shout out to our original producer, Juni, and our current producer, Blossom, who are both huge Monster Taming fans. And we, we uh, geek out on the regular in our meetings about Monster Crown. Awesome. Um, Andy. Is it time? We're getting there. We're, 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 all, we're almost there. Do you, have a, do you have one more question regarding Monster Crown before we get into our rapid fire segment of the show? I think a, a good place to end it is like, when is the full release date for this bad boy again? When is it like fully coming out to the world? What what time is what date is it that this is live now that people are hearing me say this? What's oh, the date today? That's a really that's good true. question. This could be, this could be, it could be out now for as much as. Okay, well it's it's October twelfth. That's the that's the date. This, this so game is a little out over now. a month. Okay, so let me think. Yeah, let's think about this. Hold on, hold on. Let's look at this calendar. Twelfth, the twelfth. Okay, is it Tuesday? Should we come out the fifteenth? No, we can't. No, this game is out before this uh, yes. interview goes up. All right, so con- it's out. Congrats on the launch, Jason. The game is amazing. <laughs> Thanks. We love Thanks. it so much. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. The, uh... By the time this podcast goes live, you'll have like at least two yachts, at least. You know, it's. I try not to think about how far away the release date is, because I'm like, well, I'll just work really hard every day, and I'm sure I'll be, we'll be there on time. But mm-hmm. man, thinking about the time after five years, it's crazy. It's like, first of all, I don't believe God. you, but second of all, like, holy shit, am I am I doing everything I'm supposed to mm-hmm. from the past? Because now you know if I did or not, because it's it's out. But um, yeah, our Kickstarter ended up being ten times the goal we had set right and i said on your podcast at the time uh i don't know if we're gonna make our goal and you said Mm -hmm. yeah you know you're definitely gonna you're definitely gonna make your goal don't worry about it so um tell me how does the release go in your (laughs) crystal ball you Um, know i I think it's gonna go great yeah oh thanks thank you that's that's fantastic news (laughs) yeah I'm not even going to work at all now because you said having, that. I'm just going to. I'm just going to. I'm back. telling you, man. Having the game run at 120 FPS on that Series X for on Game Pass, huge, huge thing. We saw it happen. It happened already. Congratulations on that too. <laughs> there you go. This is wishful thinking. There you go. We'll, Thanks. We'll will yeah. it to existence. Well, ladies and gentlemen. I don't what know is what is rapid fire? Rap oh what, wait until you oh. know. Rapid fires okay. wait would you you just wait. Rapid fires we ask you questions, you give us answers. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. And we'll start we'll start off we'll start off easy. Mm-hmm. Jason, what is best cheese? Mm. Cottage cheese. Oh, weird! You are old. Okay, bold, weird. But if you mix answer. if you mix cinnamon and Splenda into your cottage cheese, very low carb, very delicious. And oh. I don't mind the texture. Some people do, but wow. no, I don't mind the texture yeah. either. Interesting, Andy. If a song could play every time you walked into a room, what song oh. would that be, Jason? What's, every time I walk into a room, mm-hmm. man, I don't know. I don't know. I listen to such obscure music, too. Mm-hmm. Could be like from a game or a movie or, you know, an instrumental. Could be just tubas. <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah, tubas. <laughs> Tub- I, I love brass. I love brass. There you stuff. go. So any there sort of brass would be great. It's good there stuff. It's good stuff. So you, you seem to have weird food opinions. So is breakfast cereal a soup? No. Why would it be a soup? I don't know. Why wouldn't it? Well, there's no milk in soup. Why not? There's cream, I mean, creamy is, soups. Is there any precedence for it? Sure. There's creamy soups. But it's are milky soups. Mm-hmm. They're made out of milk. Cream sauces, cream, cream, cream broths. I we you need to define too where does soup end and stew begin, because mm, some sure. stews do have milk. Yes, 
Well, we did yeah. recently, and I don't know how recently or how in the future this episode air this episode I'm referring to airs. But somebody did say no, it's a stew. So really, that's it's. So you're you're on you're on a d- interesting path a path a path previously paved. Andy, do you personally see it as a soup? Because if so, follow up question. Yes. If I have cookies and milk. And there's a lot of like cookie pieces in the milk by the time I'm done. Has that become soup as well? Oh, it's interesting. Oh, and mm-hmm. you just made a smaller version of cookie crisps. That's right. That just happened. That's right. Scenario. That might be soup too. Yeah. Which also might be soup. These I, are the questions I of our like, time. I feel like chewed food shouldn't be part of a soup dish. And like, well, it's not chewed. It just comes off the cookie. Well, I, you don't think I double dipped, do you? I'm not a, I'm it's not your own monster. milk. It's your own milk. I would sure hope you double dip. That's the only circumstance where double dipping is 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 appropriate. Andy, get us off the cereal. Well, I do want to say one thing, Stephen. Do you call if you eat it at dinner time? Do you call it dinner cereal or breakfast cereal still? I just say I'm having cereal for cereal. dinner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Best cereal. Oh, best cereal, Jason. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's go. Let's go with that. What's your what's your what's your favorite cereal? Well, the best cereal, and mm-hmm. I'm. I'm saying this is not subjective. This is the best cereal. Okay. It's Raisin Bran. Raisin Bran. Oh. Uh, but oddly enough, the off-brand Raisin Bran has more raisins. So the off-brand Raisin Bran is actually the superior Raisin Bran. You and really if you put a you, banana in it? Can I ask you so, a question? So insightful. Sure. <laughs> Whose grandfather are you? <laughs> because you are you have the spirit all, you are an old we, what we call we we call that here is an um an old uh soul that mm-hmm. you have an old soul i like it it's very very nice well i'm i i like to keep life very simple so when i eat out it could be any number of things that you would probably also like but when i order groceries and i have food home I like to figure out a few things that I can eat every day, eat the same thing every day. So I try to only let myself pick things that aren't too bad for me or, you know, cover a few different bases Mm. so I can eat it every single day. And I'm just someone that never gets sick of the taste of things. So Mm. that's, that's kind of why I probably seem grandpa-ish. Stuck in your ways. (laughs) I get it. I get it. Um, Do you you have a cane to bang on the ceiling when the kids make too much noise? Damn it. Oh man, the people that live above us are so loud. You know, I've, I've banged on the ceiling, and whew. one of these days I'm going to be in the upstairs. One one of these days. Moving on up. Moving on up, indeed. Uh, let's talk about superpowers. Would you rather have the ability to teleport, or the ability to time travel? Any any reasonable limits on the time travel? No, just usually good, nice little theories. You know, you could go back, you could go forward, whatever. I think teleport feels cooler, but time travel. I don't feel like there's anything that teleport can solve that time travel can't also. Mm. Mm. Right, because where are you teleporting to to solve a problem? Yeah, the well, teleport to get somewhere quicker or whatever. Right. Yeah, right. Or to, but I could yeah. just, I could time travel to there one minute after my previous act and assuming that I'm not causing any paradoxes, I mean, I think it's we, superior. We, we, the paradox theory is, is just that it's a theory. So we have to assume that the only thing we know in this scenario is that you could either go backwards or forwards. We don't know. Never mind. Let's, that, let's not get into the time travel theory, Andy. What is the dumbest way you've ever injured yourself? Oh, a good one. I, well, it, it's it's like really dumb. I don't know if it's good to like hear about, but it's really oh, yes. dumb. So I was when I was 15, 16 years old, so old enough to be reasonably intelligent about how the world works on a basic level. Mm-hmm. I, I really liked eating mandarin oranges in a can. It's okay. really good. Mm-hmm. So I opened the I didn't have a can opener. A can opener was broke. So I had to use a, like a combination of scissors and old knife to kind of open up the can. Don't like where I really wanted to mandarin oranges. Anyway, there was this little sliver of metal 
that, that came off. That, I guess, was part of the cutting action. And for some reason, I thought that I could grab the metal piece and kind of just, like, crack it or tear it off to, to clear it out of the way after opening the can. And instead, of course, my human hands just slid up the metal and sliced my thumb open. And I still had the scar, and it was, like, blood going everywhere, and I had to get stitches. And it was, like, so dumb because everyone was like, why did you do that at all? You didn't even injure yourself doing anything reasonable. Like you, t you decided to do this totally gonna hurt you thing, and you know, you're the only one that was surprised. I, I, I'm getting my uh, my injury last summer with the mandolin when they cut half my thumb off trying to peel potatoes. Really. And the scar still hurts. Well, he, Damn. he, yeah, but Andy, at least you were doing, you were doing a normal thing with a sharp yeah. object and fucked it up. That's true. Right. Like That's you, true. you, you know, it's meant, it's meant to be used the way you used it. Right. But yeah. it was, it was jamming. And I was like, let me see if I can just testosterone my way through this and make it work. Uh, and yeah. then I put all that sheer force into one thrust and then it was potato Damn. and flesh in the bowl. Oh, man. <laughs> Okay. So did you lose any pieces or did they could they just stick Oh no, out? a whole chunk came clean off and had to like Oh my god. It was, it was such a weird spot you couldn't stitch. It was like they just wrapped it in some weird like artificial skin goop thing and it was like give it like a few weeks and it'll slow wow. But and uh, does it look normal or does ish. it look weird? It looks normal-ish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. One one enthusiastic thumb up for you, Andy. Um would you rather visit a faraway planet or explore the deepest parts of our ocean? Is there life on the planet? Oh, but that's the it, risk you take, Jason. Yeah. Okay, so I would find out by exploring it. Yeah. Uh, like, you could discover, like, a Kraken or, like, a Megalodon underwater or, like, some ancient sea or Atlantis, even. An ancient or who made the blue? Mm -hmm. The bloop. Yeah, the bloop, right? You know about the bloop? I, What's the bloop? I think I do. It's like this deep sea sound that was incredibly loud and mimics the structure of like a a, a mammalian or no, well, some kind of like fish or living living sea creature made the sound. It wasn't like glacier moving or a rock scratching together or something dropping in the ocean. Like it was this incredibly loud biological sound. Whoa. So you could discover that potentially in the ocean. Um, based on the Fermi paradox, I think I got to go with the ocean because I have a higher chance of actually finding something. Mm. And I don't find rocks that interesting. Gotcha. So, yeah, okay. like super colossal squid or... Mm -hmm. I'm into it. Yeah. Oh, there's a there's a creepy story called the carpet. It might be called the black carpet. And it's like supposedly this real story about this deep sea carpet creature. That's like a amalgamation of many multicellular organisms. Anyway, you, that's whoever's listening to this, if you if you like that sort of creepy deep sea stuff, look up the the black carpet. There's got to be a way to figure out how to get down there. I'm telling you, <laughs> got to figure it out. Andy, what do you got? Uh, let's see. <clears throat> let's see. Um, would you rather discover something new or invent something new? I'd rather discover something like really wild than invent something really wild. Because like as soon as you invent something, that's cool for that first few minutes. And then it becomes like all about hey, get it out there, get it patented, like all that boring stuff getting mm. credit. I'd rather just discover like some natural mm. natural let me ask you a question. Sure. Mm -hmm. My fiance was watching Gilmore Girls last night. Oh. Okay. <laughs> oh no, it was Feed Phil. Or something like that. Anyway, they said that they, this guy, local guy, painter, invented a color. Now, I thought, he shouldn't say he invented a color. Because colors are natural in nature. He invented a pigment, like a unique pigment right. in the paint. Am I being pedantic? Like, is it okay to say this dude invented a color just for, like, quick speak to the layman? Or is that overstepping? If I, if I, if I wrote the, the script for that, I would say he discovered a new color. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's really good yeah because i feel like every color exists somewhere we just haven't seen it yet yeah and we don't know how yeah, to make it yeah i think it. you're right I think <clears> so you're that's right. what i would do okay good to know you're on my side yes 
I would be like, he didn't invent shit. You can't invent <laughs> that. Get out of here. I don't yeah, know. it's all it's all just semantics at that point. I feel. Yeah, if the color, if it already exists, well, then again, yeah, if it exists already in nature, and we haven't come across that combination or seen that color yet, you're just gonna that's be- a good good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If it is a truly novel color, mm-hmm. then yeah, maybe we can say he discovered slash invented it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I, I like that discussion. That mm-hmm. that's interesting. I feel right. like we're really getting we're f- progress here on major human issues. Yeah, absolutely. Really yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of human issues, Jason, you get a phone call. <clears throat> Andy and Stephen have been arrested. What was their crime? Robbed. Um, precious video game prototypes um, that were behind lock and key at Nintendo or Sony headquarters. Mm. Wow. That's... Yeah, I say this because that would also be what I would be arrested for. (laughs) Andy. Yeah, I have a good one. All right, here's your good one, and then I'm going to ask the final question. I'm going to do a twist on an old favorite. Okay, okay, okay. So, Jason, you're sitting in your living room with your fiance, and you're both getting ready to go for a nice walk in the park or for a nice little date, something romantic. Okay. Okay. And you're both getting dressed, and she has her socks and her shoes beside her. And you notice she puts them on sock, shoe, sock, shoe. Do you, do you A, ask for the engagement ring back, or B, call the local authorities to have her arrested immediately? Or is it option C? It's you ignore it and then pray you don't get like axe murdered. murdered at some point in the future. I I think that's that's like that's I think that's how I do it. What what would you Shit. do? Do you find one? Du- double sock in it? Like what do you do? No no no, like you put the sock on one foot, then the sock on the other foot, and then the shoe on the shoe on. But she puts on a, sh- a sock first, two bare feet, gets one sock on the bare foot. They put the yeah. sneaker over the sock foot, leaving one bare foot and one sneaker foot. And then, oh yeah, I see what you mean now. Shoe. So I was you... I was thinking of the procedure, but now that you mention it, the state of being fully socked and shoed and and barefoot—that's yeah, right. that's pretty bad. So you lean over yeah. and observe this, and you're like, "Who are you? Mm. <laughs> What's going on here?" I go with B because I feel like <laughs> sure I can take back. The engagement ring and that solves my issue but society at large is still at risk so <laughs> this is true this is It'll true be, yeah all right jason now you've had uh, Lordy. four years to think about this question and it is the most <laughs> difficult question you'll ever have to answer in your entire life um almost as long as you've been it's not four years three years it's almost as long as you've been developing the game Okay, you've had to just really mull over this question. It's a simple question. Anybody can answer it. The question is, Andy or Steve? Like, um, in what context? Any context. That's the beauty of it, Jason. Is this like an Oscar array sort of question? This This is a, we have an Excel spreadsheet. To count how many we get, how many? Do you have, a, do you have a, a, an actual spreadsheet? I think I'm not aware of? I think I do. I think <laughs> I might have. I would like to see the figures on that. <laughs> hmm. But yeah, the context is yours, Jason. Yeah, it's all you. It, it, it's all for you science. Know, it, let's say you pick one of us, then the other can say, "Well, he picked the worst one out of the two to make us feel better." But it's all on you. How you answer this question? Which one of you guys is the one that I'm I'm in the DM with in Discord? Oh, that'd be me. Okay, well, Andy. Sorry, interesting. sorry, interesting. Steve. Yeah, I, I was closer to a to another uh, artist of the game for a little while, and then that person vanished on us. I don't know if you. Remember Who was that? that? Uh, what was the name, Andy? 
Oh, Shad? Shad. Yeah, Shad. Oh, you you knew Shad for a while, but you don't... Well, Shad Kate was on the show the last time with you. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, okay, gotcha. So gotcha. I was speaking to yeah. Shad for a while and then not, but yeah. <laughs> and then not. And then not. I don't know. Lose track of people every now and again. Um, I think Shad would be on this conversation if uh, he finished up with monster, his monster crown work like pff, almost two years ago now. Wow. Like the art was all done, right? And it just had to be finished, put all together and build a game and get the bugs worked out and that kind of stuff. So that's awesome. Chad's been uh, focusing on on new stuff since then, which is kind of cool because starting on new projects is always awesome. Yeah, I love it. Well, we, we wish Chad luck, all the luck. All of it. Absolutely. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of the show. We did it. We got there. A couple of technical difficulties later. We did it. Everything's fine. Um, Andy, is there anything you want to tell the kids before we go? Uh, Go buy this game because it's out right now. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) ASAP is possible. Um, I can't, thanks, I, thanks I actually, for that. I'm re excited about it, actually. I want to like get back into it. I want to start afresh, hopefully, not lose my starter monster. Go through and just, just play. Just get good. Just gotta get I'm, good. I, I I was getting pretty damn good at it too. Like I I own their. Never mind. I digress, folks. If you want to follow us on social media, we are at dual underscore screens. I am at Batchild twenty seven. Andy is at Pants Guy. Our Facebook group is facebook.com slash groups slash ds podcasts. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitch, it's twitch.tv slash dual screen streams. I am also on Twitch where I will be streaming Monster Crown uh, when it comes out. Uh, you can find that at twitch.tv slash Batchild. Also look for our review, which is probably out now um, when you're watching this. So go to dualscreens.com if you want to read that review or watch the video review. That's right, Andy. We're going to do a video review. I'm telling you now. We have a month before the game is out. So we're going to get get it done. Um, Where could everybody follow you, Jason? Where could everybody follow Monster Crown and all that fun stuff? Uh, On Twitter, we're crowns underscore dev. Um, that's the best place to follow us or, uh, follow the game on steam, just monster crown. Um, and yeah, you'll find our discord at those locations as well. So you can join us and thanks so much to both of you for having me on this podcast. Once again, I really appreciate it. And it's one of the most fun, um, online conversations I've ever had. Oh, Oh, you go, go on. That's really good. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, listeners and viewers. And as always, please be excellent to each other.